Chapter twenty eight of St. Charles Borromeo, a sketch of the reforming cardinal by Louise M. Stackpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter twenty eight Apostolic Visitations. The Brigands. When in Rome, Charles had suggested to Gregory the thirteenth that a judicious and efficacious means of firmly establishing the decrees of the Council of Trent would be for the bishops to visit each other's dioceses and report thereon. The sovereign pontiff approved and appointed Charles visitor apostolic of all the dioceses of Lombardy, with, at his own request, the exception of his own see. The archbishop visited Brescia, Bergamo, Cremona, in fact, all the dioceses, during 1580-81, reforming, exhorting, preaching, converting, in short, sowing the good seed generously, and in nothing seeking or sparing himself. At this time the country round Brescia was ravaged by four companies of bandits, these fierce and reckless brigands were the terror of the respectable and law-abiding inhabitants, and what made them most dangerous was the fact that their chiefs were men of noble birth, who for various reasons had become outlaws. They were the Bertizzoli de Salo, Sala de Asola, Ottavio de Evagradro, and Don Clerici. These wild and desperate men were the leaders of wild and desperate bands. They were the scourge of the country, keeping up a predatory warfare, and committing deeds of violence and rapine. Charles heard of them and resolved to endeavor to convert them. He sent them word that he greatly desired to interview them, and see for himself what manner of men they were. One band commanded by Count Ottavio di Evagradro accepted his invitation, and were so touched by his gentleness and charity that they declared they were willing to change their lives. They implored him to allow them to assist at his mass on the following morning. Charles was only too pleased to grant them this favor, stipulating, however, that they should come unarmed. To show his agreement with this wish, the count laid his arquebus on the floor at the cardinal's feet. At Martinego, our saint found himself in the very den of the robbers, for halting at an inn outside the town, he discovered to his great joy that it was crowded from cellar to garret with bandits. Here was a chance for the reforming cardinal. Full of holy zeal and charity, he spent the whole night with these men, exhorting them to repentance. He succeeded in melting their hard hearts, for each and all confessed to him, received absolution, and the following morning were present at the divine sacrifice. We can imagine with what grateful fervor and seraphic love he offered up mass for these fierce brands he had with God's help snatched from the burning. He gave them letters of recommendation to the provost, an archdeacon of Cremona, hoping in this way to help them to keep their good resolutions. They persevered, these brave but hitherto misguided men. Strife and conflict ceased. There were no more robberies. Peace reigned throughout the land, and this most desirable state of affairs had been brought about by the kindness and sweet reasonableness of the man who was, by so many, considered stern and despotic. It was only in defense of the liberties of Holy Church that Charles was inflexible and rigid. When she was not threatened, his true nature showed from behind the mask of severity, and those who came in contact with him, whether rich or poor, saints or sinners, felt irresistibly compelled to give frank, spontaneous admiration to the heroic and noble qualities that made his strong personality so irresistibly attractive. We have seen him with ruthless, lawless brigands, changing and transforming them by the magic of his eloquence and zeal into good and pious citizens. We will follow his exalted figure to another and very different meeting, it was at Chatelon de Stivere, near Osola, that the ascetic and prematurely aged cardinal met Aloysius, 
the young angelic saint of the marquise de gonzaga the lad was then only twelve but already was a child saint one whose pure soul had never been never was to be tarnished by the least imperfection it was the zealous daring reformer who gave holy communion for the first time to this flower of innocence and those who witnessed never forgot the heavenly scene the austere yet kindly archbishop bending over and giving the bread of life to the kneeling boy the faces of both were transfigured shining with celestial joy the flames of divine love seeming to envelop them and separate them from ordinary mortals this candid and holy youth afterwards entered the society of jesus was one of the most humble of its members a mirror of obedience and mortification and above all of purity and is venerated by us as st aloysius gonzaga charles proceeded on his visitations going through the country doing good and bringing comfort and peace to many weary souls he returned to milan for a short time to receive the empress mary of austria who was on her way to portugal having been asked by her brother king philip ii to govern that country having given her the welcome due as much to her virtue and merit as to her exalted rank he went to vercelli on a pilgrimage to the shrine of st eusebius whose relics had lately been discovered by the bishop of that city and the translation of them to a fitting sanctuary was a holy and glorious spectacle one which rejoiced the reverent and devout soul of our saint from vercelli he went to massino where he met his spiritual son charles emmanuel who had succeeded his father as duke of savoy and went with him to turin to gratify once more his devotion to the sacred passion of christ by venerating the holy winding-sheet charles returned to brescia it was a vast diocese and to visit it thoroughly took a long time and many journeys to and fro it extended into wild and unfrequented districts bordering on the tyrol it was always difficult generally dangerous to cross the mountain passes and to venture among the fierce and brutal inhabitants the courageous reformer had in a marked degree the will to do the soul to dare and he went with unruffled calmness into the midst of the most turbulent men with his gentle dignified manner his ardent charity and his fervid eloquence he won their hearts and converted them even as he had the lawless brigands into honest god-fearing men at Cardono, he raised the rough and ignorant miners from the state of degradation into which they had fallen at Camonica, he converted the population in mass and effected some very necessary reforms among the pastors of these poor neglected sheep at Tirano, he was warmly welcomed even the calvinists sharing the enthusiasm of the inhabitants and going forth with their catholic neighbors to greet their illustrious visitor they listened to his discourses they assisted at holy mass and many adjured their heirs and were received by him into the true church in the church of Tirano, there is a miraculous image of our lady and charles frequently spent the night kneeling before it in fervent prayer these long vigils appealed to the heretics almost as much as his persuasive and soul-stirring sermons example is always more efficacious than precept and these long hours spent in a cold and deserted church and supplication before the statue of our beloved mother made them realize the heroic self-forgetfulness and extraordinary sanctity of the dauntless champion of the catholic faith another manifestation of his complex character succeeded in quite winning their hearts they saw him help with money and advice their poor starving brethren spend precious hours instructing the rude peasants he met on the highway and on one occasion he made a long detour in order to teach a little stupid half-witted boy to bless himself and to recite the our father and hail mary 
The lad was dull and clownish, but the great cardinal's patience never gave way. He persevered until success crowned his efforts, taking infinite pains to teach one miserable little gammon, showing thus that he follows St. Ignatius's maxim that what is worth doing is worth doing well. It is these apparently trivial things that show a man's true nature, that best portion of a good man's life, his little, nameless, unremembered acts of kindness and of love. End of chapter 28